The title of today's message, it wasn't intended to be a two-part, but as I was going through it this morning, I realized that uh, it needed to, rather than rushing through everything, but we're going to split this in half this week and next week, but the title of the message this morning is called Healing Prayer. Healing Prayer, Learning How to Pray in Our Pain. Learning How to Pray in Our Pain. And the classic passage then the scripture about praying in pain, in our need for God's hand and touch in our life, is in James chapter 5. And so this morning I encourage you to turn your Bibles to James chapter 5, verses 13 through 17. It'll also be on the screen in the English Standard Version is what I'm using here. Uh, sometimes use some different translation, but our primary translation that we uh, use, uh, just out of preference, not that it's greater or better than others, but that's just what we use is the English Standard Version. James chapter 5, beginning at verse 13, you follow along as I read. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Let him call for the, or verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, God, that this word is without error. We thank you that this word has the life of the Spirit built into it, God, that you breathed upon your holy word Lord, help us to have instruction, God, for something uh, so vital and important that, Lord, it is enunciated, God, in your word in such a clear way. Help us to have understanding. Help us to have a balanced understanding. Help us to be anchored to the scriptures that that is our authority as we talk about anything, but especially something as, as delicate and as needful as healing, and so, Lord, I pray that today that your flock would be fed and encouraged as the Word of God is taught today. May your Holy Spirit be our guide and our teacher. We pray, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right. Well, the details in this, and we're going to walk through again just part of this this morning, and we'll continue next week, and that way it won't, it won't feel so rushed this morning but in this passage that we just read, and that'll be the primary passage that we'll, we'll kind of stay with uh, during this week and next week, I want you just, uh, just a couple of observations in this, is that prayer in the passage that we just read was mentioned four different times. So that tells you there's something important <laughs> that James is wanting us to pay attention to in the subject concerning prayer. Prayer. This is about not just prayer in general, but specifically prayer when you are in pain, when you, are in, when you are sick, suffering. And he mentions different situations in this passage about the need for prayer. Uh, he mentions about emotionally distressing situations. He talks about relationally happy situations. James talks about physically painful situations. And he talks about spiritually harmful situations. He covers it all. But what I want you to notice is in verse 16, and that should be again on the screen, and this is really the, a key scripture here in verse 16, where verse 16 says, therefore 
confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And here, the prayer of a righteous person has great power. Say power. 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 That the word, that the, the prayer of this righteous person, a person uh, of power. Now, the New King James, if you have that, it says avails much, but power or powerful. And I would just, if you mark in your Bible, and I hope you do, it's used as a, as a tool, circle that word power. That's the word that in the Greek we get the word energy. It has effectual power. It, it is, has the spirit-filled energy, all right? It's effectual to accomplish that which it's designed to do. There's something, again, as we just think about prayer, Anytime you talk about prayer, it's like talking about evangelism. You know, we don't share the gospel enough. We don't pray enough. We don't read our Bible. This is not a guilt-laden sermon. You know, I don't do those, all right? But, but we want to underline and underscore not just praying and the importance of prayer, but we also want to zero in on praying because the, the subtitle is learning to pray in our pain because that's sometimes the most difficult time when we don't want to pray, right? We don't feel like praying. Everything in our bodies and around us and our circumstances, but prayer is our great privilege because we, we get to have a conversation and talk to God. You ever just, we kind of take that for granted, but you ever think about that? I mean, if you had um, a, a, a very important person uh, on your speed dial, you would really think that was awesome and cool. And you might have somebody really powerful and, uh, you know, exciting on your speed dial. But I tell you, the Lord is on the ultimate speed dial. He's always there. And yet, why is it, kind of like read instructions, why is it that that is the last place that sometimes we go? You heard, you know, I said the, the, the kind of joke where the old boy was talking about a problem to the church and told the deacon, said, well, I guess we're just at the point where we need to pray. And one deacon threw up his hands and said, oh, oh, my Lord, are we at that place now? Meaning like that was, it's really bad if we're at the place where we got to pray. No, prayer should always be the first place, right? Where we go to God, prayer is that great privilege. It's our great power because it acknowledges that God can do whatever God can do. We acknowledge when we pray, J.I. Packer said this in Knowing God, that every time that we pray before the Lord every time we, if we uh, bow our knees before the Lord, either physically or just in, 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 a, in, a, in, our, in our own way that we pray, we're acknowledging the sovereign control of God. Why pray if God can't change anything, if God can't do anything? So you may not have all the theological uh, T's and I's you know, dotted and crossed, but you're acknowledging the sovereign control of God over all things. That's why we pray. We believe God can make things happen. We pray about it. God has given us prayers, the great provision. It's a gift. And so today and next week, which I, again, wanted to do this in just one day, but I think it'll be better if we split it. In the next couple of messages, today and next week, we're going to ask these three primary questions. When should we pray for healing? How do we pray for healing? And what kind of person can, be, can pray for healing? Not to be prayed for, but what kind of person does God use to pray for somebody else for healing? And I think that James gives us some great and wise counsel in these verses. And we're going to just spend a little time this week and next week talking about that. But the first that I believe that the passage addresses that we want to look at concerns when should we pray for healing? And there, uh, ultimately, we're going to look at three different ways that this happens, but I think this morning we'll probably look at the first two. And number one, one of the, what, when should we pray for healing? Number one is whenever I've, I am feeling emotional pain. Whenever I'm feeling emotional pain. You know, we oftentimes, when we talk about pray for healing, we just usually always reference it to something physical. You know, prayed for several folks today, and there was physical needs in their, their body that they needed God's touch with, uh, and their bodies. But you realize that healing uh, can occur and, and be facilitated in different ways, and we should pray for healing when we feel emotional or when we're having emotional 
pain, emotional pain. What do we mean by that? Look at verse 13 of James 5. He says, is anyone among you in trouble? That's from the NIV. Is anyone suffering? The ESV. Is anyone in trouble? The word troubles, again, in the original language of the New Testament is written in, uh, is the word that is used also for stress or distress for mental and emotional suffering. That's real. And I think most of us can identify with that in some form or way that emotional pain is real. Troubles means when we are stressed out. Circumstances are heavy. Circumstances are weighted down on us. Uh, Another way that that word is translated in the New Testament is the word hardship. If any of you have hardship, you're in trouble, you're suffering, uh, that that it means that you're going through a hard time. You're stressed out. You're ready to throw in the town. And we won't take any votes or hands here this morning, but I'm sure that at different points in our life, we've all been there. That's when we should seek God. Now, the technical definition, just doing a little teaching here, uh, the technical definition of this Greek word means, listen, internal distress, internal distress due to external circumstances. Internal distress due to external circumstances. We're not talking about physical pain. We'll look at that in a minute. But internal distress due to external circumstances and internal distress due to external circumstances. So so the reason I'm feeling this trouble, the reason I'm feeling this emotional stress This emotional pain is because there's something external pressing in and up against my life that is causing this emotional stress and pain in my life. And again, uh, knowing many of you, we're, we're, uh, we're praying for many of you that are having circumstances and issues that are external. There might be issues in your family or work or something that is pressing up against you that is causing great emotional stress. So if you've had, maybe this week was the week that it was one of those weeks that you were just thinking, can it get any worse? Well, let me assure you, it probably can. All right, so don't, let's don't go there. But you have those weeks, and so when things are hard in your life, what are we to do? We're to pray. We're to pray. When you're stressed out and stretched to the limit, what do you do? You pray. When your heart is breaking into a thousand pieces, what do you do? You pray. When tension is at all-time high, pray. When troubles are coming at you faster uh, than you can bat them away, kind of like, what is that little game, whack-a-mole or whatever? You know, you ever feel like life is like that? You hammer down one and one pops up? Pray, pray. You say, well, what do I pray about? Well, James, again, gives us great help there because if you look back over in verse 5 of chapter 1, what does he tell us? He says, if any of you lacks what? You know, wisdom, someone said that wisdom is the right application of what you know. Think about that. Wisdom is the right application of what you know. Oftentimes when I talk to folks and Jim does counseling and maybe you talk, many times they know, they know the data. They know what I should do. What I, you know, they know that information. Wisdom is the application, the proper use of what I know. You know, I know that a match can light a fire and keep me warm. But I also know a match can be lit and burn my house down. So I need wisdom. I need God. And I love the word navigate. You know, Lord, help me navigate. Growing up in Virginia Beach and going out in the ocean and boats and all those things, sometimes you had to navigate your way or, you know, here on the the shores here, you know, through those buoys and all the different, you know, before you didn't cause a wake and you had to navigate your way through certain spots. And if you were looking for a great place to fish, you had all, you know, all the contraptions now to help you navigate to the right place. I need God to help me navigate this situation, to help me know when to bob and know when to weave. I need to know, God, when do I take a right, when do I take a left, when I go straight. And sometimes 
when do I do nothing? That's the hardest part, isn't it? God, when do I just do nothing? Because we always feel like we got to do something. But remember what we're learning on Wednesday nights and experiencing God? God is not a nothing God. God is always at work. And what do we need to do? We need to get in on what God is doing, not trying to fit God into what I'm doing. So we, James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, what do we do? We pray. Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without approach, and it will be given to him. Now, when you're asking God for wisdom, you need to ask yourself maybe some of these questions, important questions. One is that I'm, I'm seeking God for an answer. Maybe I need to ask myself, God, is there anything that I did that caused this trouble? Is there something that I've done? That may be hard for some to say, whoa, you mean me? I did something. Yeah, maybe, Lord, I've, I've brought this on. Maybe something I've said. Maybe something I've done. Uh, did I bring this trouble, this stress into my life? Because, and, and hear this from personal experience. Sometimes the stress and trouble that have been in my life have been self-inflicted. Now, a few of you holy, holy people out there nodded your heads. The rest of you never know. You know, hello? Do I need to repeat that again? Some of the troubles in my life have been self-inflicted. You ever somebody that talks about have a self-inflicted wound? That means they did it to themselves. But what do, what do we oftentimes want to do? We, we inflict ourselves with trouble, and then who do we want to blame? God, how could you let me get into this mess? And we all of a sudden want to make God the enemy. God's not your enemy. He's the one that's going to help you get out of it. He's the one that's going to help you navigate through it. Don't blame God. So we need to say, God, is there something that I've done? Or maybe the other, as we seek God's wisdom, is to say, God, are you, and obviously he is, but God, are you allowing, are you allowing this pain, this trouble that somehow needs to get my attention so that I go to a different position. Are you, getting, are you allowing this? And he is allowing it. Of course, he's allowing it. But are you allowing this more for an intentional purpose and in your sovereignty to, to arrest my attention, to say, hey, there's something I need to do here. There's something I need to change. There's something I need to, I need to zag and quit zigging. I need to do something it may be that I need to get a, uh, pay attention to. Sometimes that's the case. And if we're seeking God's wisdom, he'll give us that answer. So listen, sometimes we get stressed out. Sometimes we get distressed. Sometimes we get troubled. And the Bible calls it here of what the Bible says, because you're doing the wrong thing. You know, what is the, what are the, what the little coffee mug say? The, you know, the, act, the ultimate... The act of insanity is to keep doing the same thing to get the same results, right? You know, you just doing well, I don't know. I just keep doing, you know, doing this. Well, maybe you need to change. That's a real revelation to some people that they need to change. Maybe you need to stop doing this. Maybe you need to get some of these folks out of your life that are causing you this trouble. We just kind of keep collecting and wonder why, why we're distressed. Maybe it's changed, but here's another way to, to look at this, is maybe, maybe, and again, this is where God's wisdom can sort things out. You hear what I'm saying? This is why we need the wisdom from God, because he can, he can separate, he can bring light of clarity, all right? But sometimes, it's not that we need to change a behavior, maybe we're doing the right thing, or right things, but we're doing it in the wrong way. We need wisdom. We need God's direction. And that's what needs to change. We need God to say, God, shine light on this situation. Am I doing something wrong, or am I doing the right thing in the right, in, in the, the right thing in the wrong way? Is there something, is there some strategy? You realize that oftentimes... You know, we need to know the strategy of the Lord. God, what is your strategy over the situation? Because God has a key. These are multiple keys here. You realize God has a key to your situation? 
right? You don't have to keep trying to pick the lock and get a crowbar. And He's got a key. Isn't that better when you have a key? You ever had to get locked out of your house or car? Hopefully it ended with your, you know, but you end up causing more damage because you were determined to get in instead of dealing with the locksmith and, you know, paying $800, whatever, to, you know, to get you out, right? God has a key. We need to say, God, what is your key in this situation? David, I love 18.6, Psalm 18.6 from the New Living Translation. David said, but in my distress, what did I do? I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. What did he do in his trouble? What did he do in his distress? I'm glad I didn't say, in my distress, I turned on Dr. Phil. In my distress, I turned on the TV. I did this. In my distress, I ate more. In my distress, I drank more. In my distress, I indulged in some type of sexual activity that was kind of, again, all those comfort sins that some of you learned about in transformation. You know, those things that I leaned into and indulged in that made me feel better for a moment, but yet continued to pile up disaster. No, in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. God says, every time you get under stress, talk to me about it. But also, James tells us something also interesting in verse 13. Not only when do I pray, not only in troubled times, that's, that's kind of straightforward there, but don't miss this. Also in verse 13, that we are to pray, talking about the when we are to pray, is in good times too. Look at the latter part of verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Songs of praise are, is verbal. I heard someone say this morning, listening to him, that uh, I think it was Tony Evans that said, you know, worship you can do quietly, but praise, you can't do praise without speaking and using your mouth. That's what praise is. And so... Let them, if anyone is happy, oh, you know, that's why on the back of that little tear-off thing, we have where you can write a prayer request, but it also says, and not too many people do this, you can write something that you want to give God praise for. You know, God is honored when you acknowledge His goodness in your life. And when you start the catalog and go through all the goodness of God in your life, guess what? You can't complete it. Just the fact you got up this morning. Some of them, you know, you had something to eat this morning. Some, you'll have something to eat later. You have a job. You have some means of income. I mean, again, you watch that video of that shoebox there. And yet, if you don't see that, wow, they are so excited over something so small to most of us. Because when you are grateful and have the gratitude of the goodness of God, you can't help but give God praise. And sometimes we just need the discipline in our mouth instead of saying, well, how you doing, brother? Oh, well, you know, just, just life's got me under. Just, you know, trying to stay one step in front of the devil. Instead of saying, you know what? God is good. I got up this morning. I breathed air. I was able to brush my own teeth. Let me tell you about the goodness of God this week. He gave me food, he gave me shelter, gave me a church family. Listen, I believe something, and again, I know there's extremes out there, but listen, there is something, because God's word is just so, re so repetitive of it, there's something very healing when we speak the goodness of God in our life. And we need to be more apt to do that. Something also, he says, is anyone happy? But he says, let them sing songs of praise. Not just saying, but singing to God. What are the Psalms? What was the design of the Psalms? The Psalms was the original, or maybe not the original, but the, I mean, that was the worship book of Israel and of the church. The Psalms were meant to be the lyrics and the words of praise and worship among God's people. And so singing songs of praise, singing to God. 
You say, well, I, you know, you, you don't know my voice. That's okay. The Lord says, make a joyful noise. I make a joyful noise. And I sit near, well, I shouldn't say that, Robert. You're a good singer. <laughs> We're to make a joyful noise to the Lord. Sing. Listen, there is nothing more blessed than to be overhearing people behind me and around me singing to the Lord. You see, worship, when we gather together for worship, it isn't just to be observant of what the team is doing. We're coming in and watching a show. No, they're just mere prompters to lead you in worshiping the Lord. Giving God praise. I love what uh, Colossians 3.16 says. That you know that we can make up songs to God and sing them to Him? That's what Colossians 3.16 in the NIV, it says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through what? Psalms, hymns, and what is this? Songs from the Spirit, from the Holy Spirit. And then what does it say? Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. You realize God likes when you sing to Him? It's okay, do it among yourself. Nobody will hear you. Don't be worried about that. If you say, oh, I don't know what to sing, you know what? Most everybody can pull up on their phone the lyrics to Amazing Grace. Just sing that, start there. Take a psalm. Well, I don't know the rhythm or the rhyme. Well, that's okay. There's been 50 million rhythms and rhymes. You know, it doesn't matter. Point is, the heart that is expressing myself in gratitude before the Lord. Listen, I guarantee you, if we begin to develop the habit of doing that on a regular, consistent basis, I assure you, that will be transformative in the emotional distress that you and I face in our life. You see, but because we don't do that, we don't maximize and utilize the means and the tools that God has given to us. So when do I pray? When I feel emotional pain. Emotional pain. We know that sometimes the weight of emotional pain can result in the physicality. It's a sickness, right? I mean, stress and cardio issues. That link is very common, right? Any big, big secret? I mean, there's all sorts of links to stress and the, and the effects of our physical. So when, we, when are we to pray? We're to pray when we face trouble, if any of you are troubled. But there's a, second, there's a second observation here, and this is where we'll spend the remainder of our time in this part one, is not only when I feel emotional pain, but secondly, whenever I feel physical pain. This is what we oftentimes think of when we think about healing. We think about praying and asking God for healing. Again, James 5, verses 14 through 15. Is anyone among you, what? Sick. Is anyone among you sick? Let him or her call for the elders, the spiritual leaders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, it says really straightforward, when you're sick, what are you to do? It's not negating going to a doctor or taking medicine. I mean, there's historically always been extremes of these things. Listen, I, I take medication, and oftentimes I'll have that little whatever color pill, you know, I have... And I say, God, I thank you for the knowledge that you gave for this little pill that is going to help me not have a heart attack again. Now, I know ultimately it's not the pill. It's, it's God's hand over my life, right? Paul told Timothy to do what? And this is some of your life verse because you love wine, but that isn't the point. Drink a little wine for your stomach. That's a joke, all right? All right, calm down. Don't. Don't hate me, all right? Drink a little wine for your stomach. Luke, 
who was not an original disciple but came along as a companion to Paul and the church, guess what Luke was? He was a physician. He was a doctor. So it, it is not antithetical to be a Christian and trust God for healing and also trust Him in whatever means God decides to do that. But in all that, medical or whatever God is using, your ultimate anchor and trust is in God. And so sick means, the word literally means to be without strength. Sick, the word there means, it really, it speaks of a, uh, the uh, asthesni, I think is the way it's pronounced, but it doesn't matter because you don't know any more than I do, so I could just say whatever, right? Um, would that be the word our Greek scholar over here, Eliot, would be anesthesia, the, that the, or the etymology of the word? Okay, I thought so. All right, good. Uh, that word sick in the Greek speaks of a major illness, okay? Uh, a good example of that was in the Scripture, won't turn to it, but uh, when Lazarus had an illness and he died, it was a major illness, okay? Um, in Acts 9, uh, remember... Tabitha or Dorcas, she goes by the same names. And remember, Peter uh, took, had her in that room and told everybody to get out, and he prayed for her. She and she had a she had a major illness. It was a it was a sickness. It was a serious illness. Okay, but in verse fifteen, the word "sick" is used again, and it is a different word than the word that we see there in uh, what was it, verse fourteen. This is not the same word. That word in verse 14 is addressing a major illness, something that is life-threatening by its very nature. But in verse 15, the word sickness uh, in, again, the Greek, can, can be interpreted uh, of something a little more relatable to us that we might would call uh, chronic sickness or chronic fatigue even. It speaks of a listlessness, a lack of energy when you have no ability to move. You ever been there and done that? Yes, you have. So you're so weak. You're so weak from, again, it could be related to a physical, could be emotional, whatever, but you're so weak you have what again we talk, talk to or refer to in our modern is, is a chronic fatigue type of sickness. Now, the Bible, in a, in a very general sense, uh, speaks of three different types of sicknesses. Three different types of sickness. And these are kind of just very general, general categories and uh, not, to me, not meant to be exhaustive. But there's a sickness unto death. There's a sickness unto death. Uh, that is the sickness that we will all eventually get and die. The rate of that sickness is 100%. We will get a sickness that will lead to our passing, to our death. Uh, that's what we talk about, a sickness unto death. Um, it's the one that God will bring into our life through whatever, and it will be how God calls us home, and uh, if, if that's the means, and I know there's other ways uh, that God can do that, but primarily that is that sickness unto death. And there is a day, Psalm 139 says, that our days are written in your book before there was any. Um, and sometimes we pray for somebody fervently trusting in God when the illness and sickness they have is a sickness unto death. And we thank God when you heal them. Well, because it was a sickness unto death. It was their time to die. There is a time. That excites the church when you start talking about that. If you want to get people pumped, just start talking about death, right? Um, there is a time, as I said, Psalm 139. Our days are written. God knows those days. And you can pray. You can, you can do and the greatest medical advance. You can do whatever. But listen, if that day is a certain day and a number that is determined by Almighty God is appointed unto man once to die... That's it. So sometimes we've, and I have, and you have, we've prayed fervently instead of just accepting 
Maybe in that case, again, you know, if I'm praying for somebody who's, you know, uh, well, I don't want to start going there because somebody will start connecting with somebody and I don't want to get into that, so I'll get in trouble. But anyway, so there's that sickness for death. That's, I'll just edit myself out of that, that hole there. All right, secondly, secondly, that's a few years of learning. Keep your mouth shut sometimes. Don't, don't start rambling about examples. <laughs> uh, there's a sickness, what I call a sickness for discipline, all right? And let me explain that. That's when, and this is always tricky to use these terms, but I don't know any other way to, to say it um, and be theologically balanced, is that's when God uses or even allows an illness or a sickness, okay? Uh, we know that all sickness and disease is a result of the fall, the sinfulness of man, okay? Sin brought all the calamity the disease, cancer, you name it. All those things was not part of the original design. Their origin is all part of our living in a fallen world. Romans 8 speaks about the sons of God groaning for the creation to be back in alignment with its original creation. Why? Because the Lord says He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. It won't be a renovation of the old earth. It'll be a new earth. All right, So we live in a fallen world, so within this fallen world, we know from scriptures like at the end of Genesis with Joseph, we know uh, when he says, and we know from Acts 2, that God allows evil people to do what is in their heart to do evil, but God is ultimately in control of all things. And again, that's, that's, again, that's one of those things that sometimes is difficult to wrap our minds around and how, how all that works. And let me just give you a little tip. You're never going to figure it all out. But if you come to the basic foundation of saying, I believe that God is not only in control of all things, but I believe that God is good. And I believe that God is righteous. And that as Genesis 18.25 said, Abraham told the Lord, said about the Lord, shall not the judge of all the earth always do right. Even what you don't know, whatever God chooses is right. He's the standard of right. He's holy, he's righteous, all right? All right. So this sickness for discipline appears to be allowed by God into our life. And we talked about whether that may be through my choices, maybe the choices of somebody else, whatever. But God has allowed this, and oftentimes it is allowed to bring, if you will, a type of disciplining in correcting behavior in our life, or not necessarily correcting sin in our life, but maybe to awaken us or push us into a relationship and a knowledge of God that we have just been kind of dormant in. There's nothing quicker that gets your attention and gets you calling out for God when you get a bad doctor's report. You become spiritual between Watson Clinic and the parking lot, right? You, you get a revelation and you're going to, you know, why? Oh, God, oh, God, you know. Why? Because you realize you're mortal. You need outside help. You need God's help in this situation. And so sometimes there's things, I'll give you an example. I'm not sure if I put this on the screen or not. Just, it is an example it seems to suggest something, and again, you can work it out and help me out. But in 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11, did I leave? Yeah, there it is. Uh, this is from the New Living Translation. There seems to be some correlation between the effects of the body upon sinful, or, or, uh, sinful actions. For example, remember the instructions Paul gave about the Lord's table. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ unworthily, okay, uh, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself, okay? It doesn't mean you're trying to make yourself worthy. You're, you're not. Only Christ made you worthy. But as you read it in context, there's some attitude and heart issues going on in that congregation that are sinful in their behavior, but there seems to be this, this connection that that those attitudes and actions of the heart 
that he says that is without honoring the body of Christ because they were doing some things. And again, you'd have to read it in context. But, but, it, but it brings God's judgment upon you. That is why, verse 30, many of you are what? Weak and sick, and some have even died. There's, again, all I'm suggesting is, is that between our wrong choices, our sinful actions, things where we're not obeying and walking in the light of, of the Word, is that it seems to bring in or allows in um, God's discipline and even judgment into our life. We don't have to stay there, but we can get God's correction and move out and move forward. There's time, uh, you know, when again, if I've caused this problem. Another way we could wrap, you know, again, if I eat, if I just live off of sugar and I don't take care of my body and then I blame God because I get diabetes, no, that's your own fault. You know, when I was staying in the hospital and they said my blood sugar was what, 300? Guess what? That was my fault. That was my fault. Because I ran the red lights and thought, oh, I feel fine. I feel fine. That was my fault. And so in that, that sickness certainly was used not only to bring correction in a physical sense, but at the same time, God will often allow sickness and illness to be working in our life in a way that disciplines us or corrects us, all right? But there's a third way that you see sickness in the Scripture, and just referred to this as what in, uh, in John, um, I think John 8 or 9, I can't remember now, but, uh, when he, but anyway, Jesus called the sickness for the glory of God, for the glory of, of God. This is what I mean by this is we know that God can heal one or two ways, right? God can heal instantaneously, right? He can, he, he can heal uh, quickly. And, and uh, in fact, if you read, yeah, John 9 was the blind man. It was that story where Jesus uh, spit into the mud and put it in his eye. If you read that, you don't see anything in there that the blind man initiated healing to Jesus. Jesus did this. He didn't doesn't seem that, you know, he exercised faith or he showed anything. Now, there's other examples where that's not the case. But, but remember his, uh, the Pharisees used that man and said, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, in other words, because they always related sickness to sin. Well, the reason you're sick is there must be sin in your life. We got that kind of, some of that going on. People have that thought today. And again, as I said earlier, sometimes there is a correlation. Listen, a person who is living an immoral lifestyle and is shocked because they get STDs, really? Really? Whose fault was that? You honor God's pattern for marriage, right? You are a husband, a man for one woman, is that we, there is behavior that is, God does not bless, and then we get upset because we reap the consequences for our actions, when it's our actions. But this healing, going back to this healing of the glory of the Lord, and I thought of John 9, so God can get the glory by healing you miraculously, instantaneously, God gets credit for that. Or, and this kind of relates to where, where I'm going with that, is that sometimes God can heal you in the process of your active trust of faith and obedience in the midst of your chronic illness or disease or suffering. Either way, God is glorified. Do you hear what I'm saying? Instantaneous, yes. But at the same time, God does not always work that way. See, my problem was sometimes in, in some advocates of, of, of certain perspectives of healing is they want to always seem to fit God working in a certain way all the time in every situation. And it just doesn't work like that. You, you can't read the New Testament and find really, to my knowledge, anywhere Jesus healed anybody the same exact way every time. 
So why would that be the case today? But I'm still, now here's what I want you to catch. I'm still trusting God. I'm still obeying God. I'm still submitting myself and the promises of God's word. I'm not abandoning that. I'm not defaulting into a fatalism. You know what I mean by fate? Where I just think, well, I know he could, but he probably won't. And it's all mad. So why even, why even have faith? You know why? Because that's easier to live that way, isn't it? It's easier just to say, oh, you know, whatever's going to be is going to be. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm just floating along in the sovereignty of God. I think that's an imbalance. Because I think there is a balance where God clearly says about believing and acting in faith. God trusting in the promises. I think there's a balance of those things. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite writers, says, Truth has two wings. Truth has two wings. You ever seen a bird with a damaged wing? What are they doing? Just flopping around. A plane loses one of its wings. Guess what? You're not getting any peanuts that trip. (laughs) Truth, what is he talking about? What is Tozer talking about? He's talking about balance. Truth has two wings. It's not either or. It's both and. Some people generally fall into these one or two camps. God's, it's God's will, will to heal every time, everybody, every sickness without exceptions. You have that one side. And the other side is, is that, well, God will heal us completely when we're in heaven, but healing and miracles were particular sign gifts that stopped operating when the apostles died, and we can no longer really trust and believe God for those things to be true today. We just have to kind of, that's kind of where we're at. And you have those two extremes. And you may think, well, what what does Grace Church teach? What do we believe? Well, not to be cute, but, you know, we believe what the Bible teaches. We try to believe the whole counsel of God's Word. And what I mean by that is, again, truth has two wings. First wing is... Uh, we believe and teach that, it, that God still heals people today. We believe that. I believe that. I hope you believe that. that it, God still heals people today. Well, one, not that I'm the authority, but in my own personal life, when I was four years old, God healed me of an internal bleeding that they could not figure out the cause from. God did that. God healed my brother who had jumped off a, either a large fence or a house or something and had damaged his leg where part of his hip was jammed up. And he was prayed for and God miraculously healed his leg. My mother was healed of cervical cancer. So I'm just saying, in my little, and that's not even thinking about the multiple times that God worked physically in my life and even the things I don't know anything about. Think about all the things you don't know anything about. God, I believe, still heals. And as I said, it's up to Him. But but what I guess where I'm struggling and want to make sure that I have a balance is, is I don't want to go the easy route and say, well, you know, God is sovereign. Whatever's going to be is going to be. See, that again, that gets me off the hook. I don't have to have an active faith to just kind of default over here. I can just say, well, I'm just trusting Sovereignty of God, just, I'm just going, and there's people who's, well, you know, I'll just lay on my couch. If God wants me to get a job, he'll just knock some, bring somebody on the door, knock on the door and give me an $80,000 job where I can work three days a week and get a car. And... Now, you might have to get off your, you know, blessed assurance and go out and, get a, go out and get a resume together and start knocking on doors. You might have to start sweeping floors at Publix before you get to advance and take over Mr. Jenkins' office, right? I mean... That's where, again, that's fatalism. The Bible does not endorse that. There is the balance where I'm trusting in the God who is sovereign, but yet God has given me the Spirit to be my helper, to infuse me with the, with the, the life of Christ that I can walk. Faith isn't faith and faith. Faith is trust, that I'm trusting. Faith is anchored in the one 
who can make all these things come to be and happen. And so that requires, instead of me defaulting over here and just being spiritually lazy and call myself a whatever, no. And then you can go over here where everything is man-centered and everything is around me, where God always, who always has to jump to whatever I say. Instead of finding that balance, two, two wings of truth, I'm trusting in God. But at the same time, I'm walking in the God-given faith to believe those things that aren't as though they are. So does God still heal today? Yes. I believe Hebrews 13, 8, that Jesus, he wasn't the great I was. He's the great I am yesterday, today, and forever. And so I don't believe that the miracles, they may be different in some dimensions, but I don't believe that somehow this artificial Things just ended in church history. By the way, when you study the church history after the apostles died and you study church history, you'll find that there is a plethora of evidence historically of the miracles that God was doing among the church that were documented. Mind you, unfortunately, the church had gone down some dark roads for three, four, five hundred years in which Things like miracles and and those type of things were not as active because the church no longer believed in the authority of the word. They They were more interested in perpetuating their structure of religion and power instead of walking in faith before God. So yes, the church maybe have had a limited case. But to say nothing took place of the miraculous in that period just goes against the historical evidence. And so, we believe, I believe as a pastor, and I believe our elders believe, and I believe most of our church believes, that God once and still does heal people today. And that God has called His church, John 14, 12, where He says, greater works you shall do. Was He just kidding? Was He just teasing? Or did He really believe that? Jesus healed through the power of the Holy Spirit and the church operates in the power of the Holy Spirit. But the second wing of truth, as I said, is that healing just doesn't happen to everybody all the time in the same way. And that's the second thing. Yes, I believe God heals today, but not everybody who wants to be healed is actually healed. You realize that Jesus himself did not heal everybody? You realize there were some places that he went where he could not do any miracles there? How does that work? So what does the Bible say? The Bible says, going back to James 5, we're going to pick this up next week, it says that when you are in physical pain, you're to seek the leaders and one another to pray for you. 